For Thursday, December 16th, it's the early word from the WNYC Newsroom. I'm Brian Zumhagen, in for Isaac Davy Aronson with a look at this morning's top news, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC News Team. Coming up, new revelations about the city's three-quarter houses, places where ex-cons, recovering addicts, and mental patients are sent to transition to normal life. But first, this morning's top headlines. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. Two weeks before fellow Democrat Andrew Cuomo takes office, outgoing Governor David Patterson is asking 2,500 appointed state workers to resign. In a letter dated December 14th, Governor Patterson's top aide asks the employees to step down to give the incoming administration maximum flexibility putting together its team. A copy of the letter was provided to WNYC by Patterson's office. Patterson himself never had much flexibility putting together his own administration. He was the state's lieutenant governor for 15 months when then-Governor Elliot Spitzer resigned amid a sex scandal. Governor-elect Andrew Cuomo has announced a handful of new hires, but so far Cuomo has not publicly announced who will run any of the state's agencies. Cuomo will be sworn in as governor on Saturday, January 1st in Albany. Senator Pedro Espada continues to be at the helm of the community health clinics he founded, but WNYC's Fred Mogul reports that state authorities say allegations against Espada mean he should step down. Attorney General and Governor-elect Andrew Cuomo has accused Espada of using the Soundview Healthcare Network to enrich his family. Espada has pleaded not guilty. In the meantime, he continues to be the CEO and president of Soundview, which consists of five clinics across the Bronx. Cuomo is seeking to remove Espada from the network he founded more than 30 years ago. A spokeswoman for the health department says it supports the removal of Espada, even though Soundview clinics have passed inspections and, according to the department, deliver health care to an underserved population. Health inspectors found two violations in the last two years. Both were corrected. Calls requesting comment from Soundview and Espada were not returned. For WNYC, I'm Fred Mogul. The MTA has passed a spending plan for 2011 that erases the $900 million deficit officials had projected earlier this year. But the authority's chairman, Jay Walder, warns the budget is just barely in the black. It is an extremely tight budget for the MTA. Uh, We're running an incredibly complex, multi-billion dollar company with essentially no margin. The $12 billion budget has only an $8 million cushion, less than a tenth of 1% of the total. The agency says it filled the gap by laying off 1,000 workers and cutting bus and train service back in June. Those savings will continue to this year, plus the December 30th fare hikes will kick in more than $400 million. Foreclosure activity fell to an eight-month low as fewer than 300,000 homes received a foreclosure notice in November. According to figures coming out today from the online foreclosure tracking firm RealtyTrack, the number of properties receiving a foreclosure filing fell 21% from October to November and 14% from a year ago. But the good news might actually be due to lenders slowing down the foreclosure process in the wake of investigations into their foreclosure practices. Locally, foreclosure filings in New Jersey fell 43% from a year ago. In New York, they dropped 37% compared to November of last year. Unionized doctors at Harlem Hospital are set to meet later today to decide whether to strike over the benefits package in a proposed contract. The doctors already voted to authorize the work stoppage. 
They object to a new pension that isn't as generous as the current one and a proposal to phase out a special program that pays full tuition for doctors' children to attend Columbia University or half tuition at other schools. The Health and Hospitals Corporation, the city agency that operates Harlem Hospital, says doctors are getting a deal comparable to what they get at HHC's 10 other hospitals. HHC says it's making contingency plans in case there's a strike, including shifting staff to make sure the emergency room and other crucial departments are covered. Boarding homes that pack in poor people and collect welfare funds or disability checks as rent are nothing new in the city. Homeless advocates have been complaining about these so-called three-quarter houses for years. The city's shelter system used to send people to them and eventually agreed to stop making referrals to places with documented violations. But three-quarter houses are still finding plenty of tenants from prisons, detox programs, and mental hospitals. And many of them say they're being coerced into attending drug rehab programs. WNYC's Cindy Rodriguez investigated the problem and has this report. When Jerome David came to live at 42 Christopher Avenue, a three-story building on a desolate block in Brownsville, Brooklyn, he had lost his job, had been evicted from his apartment, and was desperate for a place to stay. That's when he turned to a caseworker at a local nonprofit who referred him to a three-quarter house that he thought would help him move on with his life. It was a Wednesday, I believe, when I went to RYB. The deal was he'd get a place to live, and in exchange, he'd attend a drug rehab program five days a week. The only problem was Jerome David says he never did drugs, nor did he drink or even smoke. But, he says, the three-quarter house operator who drove him to rehab for the first time took care of that. Along the way, he stopped at this uh, store, and he bought me a can of beer, and just told me to drink a, drink a little bit and to splash some on my face and on my clothes so they'll smell it. So I did. David says in the end, he ended up confessing to counselors, and still they let him stay. They gave me a psychiatrist I spoke to. I told her I don't drink or don't smoke, and she said for the, for the purpose of me being there, say I did. So I said, okay, no problem. Eventually, he graduated from the program, but instead of helping him find a permanent place to live, the house operator, he says, wanted him out. They had garbage bags in my there telling me pack my things. I was like, I'm not packing nothing. We nearly got physical. I called the police. When I explained to the police officer what the whole situation was, the officer told him that they can't illegally evict me. They have to take me to court. And that's where we're in right now. For the most part, three-quarter houses are filled with people who have just come out of prison, detox centers, and mental hospitals. The houses are unregulated, and tenants mostly pay their rent with the $215 monthly shelter allowance from welfare. In New York City, if a tenant's been living in an apartment more than a month, a landlord must serve them with eviction papers and give them a chance to respond in court. David says in the year or so he's been at the house, he's seen dozens of men kicked out without notice. Yuri Bomblitz is the man tenants say operates close to a dozen three-quarter houses. In 2005, the state attorney general announced a 72-count indictment against Baumblatt, his wife, and six others. Among other things, the group was accused of enterprise corruption and money laundering in a scheme to defraud car insurance companies. Baumblatt was sentenced to under a year in prison and five years probation. City records show the Human Resources Administration has paid more than $360,000 in public welfare funds to pay people's rent at three-quarter houses linked to Baumblatt. WNYC has tried to speak with Yuri Baumblatt. 
Women answering the phone at his office in Brownsville, Brooklyn, said on one occasion that Baumblatt was unavailable and on another that nobody by that name worked there. Two men who answered the door at his office, which is at one of the three-quarter houses, said Yuri Baumblatt wasn't in. On Monday, three tenants, including Jerome David, filed a lawsuit against Baumblatt and others associated with the houses. The lawsuit alleges that tenants are living in unsafe conditions, continually harassed, and required to attend drug treatment programs regardless of whether they need them. Tanya Kessler from MFY Legal Services is representing them. Yes, we're hearing from a large number of tenants that their tenancy is contingent on their attendance at an outpatient substance abuse program, a a program that's certified by the state. Kessler says tenants are convinced that some house operators are getting money when residents attend drug rehab, largely because house operators hound tenants for slips that prove they got treatment each day, and once their rehab stint is over, they get pushed out. The young attorney says the tenants who actually stand up to unscrupulous three-quarter house operators are definitely the exception, not the rule. Because once you're in that situation, you're just struggling for survival. You know, when you're trying to find a place to lay your head, going to court is something of a luxury. But for those who do make it to housing court, it's their last attempt to keep from returning to the streets. I mean, you can try to get in earlier, but... So it won't, I won't probably on a recent afternoon, a judge had just ordered that Larry Powell be let back in his room on Miller Avenue in East New York. Kessler is also his attorney and was handing him the documents he'd need to enforce the judge's ruling. Powell had spent the previous night riding the train. He's no stranger to the streets. He and his wife struggle with mental illness, drug addiction, and homelessness. But having a roof over their heads had proven stabilizing. Powell says he only ever dabbled in drugs, but his wife, Pam Wartz, had a 20-year heroin addiction she had found impossible to kick. This is the first time ever that I had really stopped. Do you understand what I'm saying? And... I just, I feel like, you know, with them providing me housing and providing me with all the things that they said they were going to provide me with, and I said, you know, if I put the drugs down and I put them down for real, then I would really get the help that I need. Wartz and Powell are seated at a diner across the street from housing court. At one point, Wartz says she was a belligerent skeleton of a woman who had lost all her teeth and had sex for drugs so many times she isn't certain who her daughter's father is. The girl is now a runaway. It's hard to recognize that person in warts. Today, she sits impeccably dressed. Her weight is back and she's got dental implants. But her optimism is gone and desperation is setting in. But I I actually sit here and I think about it. I don't know what's more miserable, you know, because at least when I was high, I I sedated how I felt. I'm sober today. So I see everything that's going on around me. You know, I'm aware of, of what's being done to me. And I don't know what makes me sadder, being active addiction or or having to to, to accept the fact that, you know what I'm saying, I'm still failing in life. When Wartz and her husband came to live at 347 Miller Avenue, they were told they'd receive job training and, most importantly, help with finding a permanent place to live. Instead, the couple says there were no services and they were hounded about attending a drug rehab program in Borough Park, Brooklyn. When Powell completed the six-month program, he says he was pressured to leave. Eventually, they locked him out of his room, and he says his things were destroyed. My clothes is cut up. The eggs, bacon, and meat was on top of the, on my clothes. If you go there now, if they let us back in, you'll see all the stuff still, what I'm telling you about right now. Larry Powell and Pam Wartz are also living in houses linked to Baumblatt. 
but he's not the only operator tenants complain about. In Greenpoint, Brooklyn, James Taylor was also being threatened with eviction. I'm just telling you what I was told to do. Taylor was threatening to call the police. The 47-year-old is a large man. He was hit by a car years ago and sometimes uses a cane. Brother, you can't just throw me in the street. I'm going to throw you in the street. You just can't send me to a shelter. I'm going to tell you something. Look, what you need to understand, this is a, a, this is a facility where you have to qualify for the, for the stay here. You therefore don't qualify. Your system has been clean for quite some time right now. It's true that he had been clean for several months. No small feat for a man who had been smoking crack for most of his adult life. That night, Taylor was allowed to stay, but a few days later, he was forced to leave, spent the night in a park, and waited for morning when housing court would open. Like Powell, a judge ruled in his favor and ordered he be let back in. Sitting on a bench in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, blocks from his three-quarter house, he apologized for his smell and pondered his predicament. I knew it wasn't right what they were doing. I just knew that. I wasn't going for another three-quarter house that I didn't know anything about. If they would have gave me time to find a place that was suitable for me, then it wouldn't have came to this. But it was like, no, you're in the street. Taylor's three-quarter house operator is called CIS Counseling Center. It's also the name of the drug rehab program that tenants who live there are required to attend. New York State's Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services oversees drug rehab programs. And in 2009, CIS was cited with several serious violations. An inspection report reads, quote, CIS's current practice of mandating outpatient treatment as a requirement for admission into a sober home residence is a violation of patients' rights and should be immediately ceased. The 2009 inspection report paints a picture of a program that keeps shoddy case records and, most troubling, the report says that CIS Counseling Center provides services to its patients that are, quote, clinically unnecessary and unjustified. WNYC reached Jack Schnitt, executive director of CIS, by phone at his office and asked him to discuss the damaging report, but Schnitt said he wouldn't talk about it. According to records from the city's Human Resources Administration, between January of 2009 and October of 2010, more than $2 million was paid to about a dozen companies known to be three-quarter house operators in Brooklyn alone. In response to complaints about operators, HRA says tenants have a right to choose where they want to live and vetting landlords would make it impossible to provide timely assistance. When asked about the allegations that drug rehab programs were linked to three-quarter houses, OASAS would only say any time an allegation is made against an OASAS provider, it's reviewed. For WNYC, I'm Cindy Rodriguez. For more on Cindy's investigation into three-quarter houses, visit our website, WNYC. Today's gig alert is for Fahir Atakoglu, a composer and pianist from Turkey. Atakoglu writes symphonic music for film and television and composes for Turkey's biggest pop singers. But he also plays jazz. In 2008, he released a Turkish jazz fusion album called Istanbul in Blue, featuring heavyweights like Mike Stern and Anthony Jackson. This song, New York Retrospective, comes from that album. You can download it for free on our culture page. Just click on culture at wnyc.org to catch Fahir Hatakoglu live. Stop by the East Village venue Drum tonight.
You can learn more about all the stories you've heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog. That's all at our website, WNYC.org. You can hear us there 24 hours a day, as well as on the air at 93.9 FM and AM820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Brian Zimhagen. Have a great day.